0: on gas, got me slung, chasing Z's, chasing Z's, I've been high up off Hey everybody, it's Gaz. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7. How is everybody doing? Are you losing your minds yet? I am. I am absolutely losing it. I am so sick of it all. I am tired of the mask. I'm tired of the foggy glasses. I'm tired of the bitchy people. I'm tired of the Facebook bullshit. Oh my God. And stuff is falling off of my desk and going everywhere. Holy crap. So, happy Memorial Day. Any of you guys have actual plans? Like, are you going to go to the backyard or front yard or side yard? A park? Something? Man, I don't know. I just want to get some people together and, like, sit in a socially acceptably spaced circle and talk or something man hang out with some people though i'm getting to hang out with people i picked up some extra work is uh doing some landscaping uh if you need some trees you need some landscaping contact celtic green message the show i'll get you the info you know so uh yeah this is our lives now right now until something changes i guess either you know delaware where i am here we're opening to uh yellow Whatever in the fuck that means. So, yellow. Things are opening up a little bit. What could go wrong? So, we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, we have got a great show. Maja Daou is here on this episode. And uh, we're going to talk to her about her book, Witch's Bestiary. And, uh, not going to lie, I'm a little smitten. She's pretty cool. She's pretty cool. I know you're going to love her, too. So, uh, anyway, I hope, uh, you know, by the time you're listening to this, you're getting your drink on or your smoke on or whatever you, uh, whatever you do, do you, and, uh, enjoy the show and I'll be back afterwards. Bye. Hey everyone. Uh, sitting here with me is, uh, Maja Daul. She is known as the Witch of the Dawn. She's a practicing witch. Yes, a witch, everyone. Yeah, you know what that is. We're not going to bug her with that today. Then scholar of alchemy and occult lore. After completing her bachelor's degree in biochemistry, she studied oriental medicine and acupuncture and later earned her master's degree in transformational psychology with a focus on shamanism, the I Ching, and ancestors. She's an author of A Witch's Bestiary, Visions of Supernatural Creatures, who were Going to talk about today, among other things, and co author of The Source and creator of a tarot deck, The White Witch Tarot. And she lives in Los Angeles and is joining us from there. So, uh, welcome, Maja. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Gary.
0: Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a weird and crazy time. We were talking a little bit before we recorded and, uh, just talking about kind of the whole emotional management or the lack thereof in people today. And, uh, <laughs> That really kind of ties in with your book, and people are going to be asking, so yeah, how does that tie in with a bestiary? Well, funny you should ask, and we'll get there. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's, it, it's crazy times out there right now. And I think one of the things that um, when people think of a bestiary, they're just like, oh, it's just a book about monsters. you know. And I, I think we can fall down that erroneous rabbit hole that there's so much more I mean, the, maybe I'm rambling, but the occult is more than just what you see and what you read. There's this expansion, and I right. think
1: the themes, yes, behind. Yeah, in your yeah.
0: in your introduction to the book, um, you you talk about uh, uh, our our perceived reality. Yes, and I think that's what that's what really has gone off the rails for a lot of people right now is they, they had this perceived reality of the way things are and the way things were going to be, and now that's kind of fractured. Their reality, how they see the world is completely fractured. And like, how do I go about that? How do I go on from this? And yeah. maybe that's maybe that's where that anger comes from.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny you use the word monster if we... If we look at the etymology of the word monster and where that comes from, it's actually related to memory and reminders. So the approach that I took in my bestiary, which is, you know, in my opinion and research, the true meaning of these beasts is that they're meant to be reminders of our you know, animal nature and of nature in general, but the mythological creatures really stand as symbols to tell us stories of how we have these brutal emotions that we have to find coping methods with, you know, and um, most people don't know much about emotional coping mechanisms, especially in Western cultures, because there's not much people do to deal with those. As we've seen with this current crisis, the majority of coping mechanisms are, of course, alcohol, which has sure. gone a tremendous amount, and then that only you know, disturbs people's liver more so that they get increased anger. And when people's expectations don't get met by reality, like you said, they have these perceived realities that are schisming uh, widely from their expectations or plans. That's one of the best recipes for people's animal natures to emerge to the surface. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So what we see really, uh, the reason I wrote my book inspired at the time that I did was really because I could see how people were struggling with having this understanding and really understanding what human beings are, uh, you know, because we've become so separated from nature, so removed from an idea that we're in physical bodies, you know, (laughs) spend so much time inside of our heads thinking or just, um, you know, using our mental facilities rather than connecting with our physical bodies or the natural world that we get disassociated Uh, from these parts of ourselves and when we do that it kind of creates these shadowy beasts that come out in other ways Uh, most of the time people are unaware that these things are even coming out and then what you'll find is of course if you approach someone who's having an emotional experience like that they're going to get very defensive like an animal and they'll probably be a fight. We were talking about how uh, I had witnessed a couple of uh, fights in the grocery store lines. You had mentioned also just people being angry uh, in general. And I I feel like these ancient stories of the mythological beast, the purpose of them was to convey this information to people, which they have really, I, I think on the whole, become completely disconnected from.
0: Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I had, as a student in a cult and shamanism, everything growing up and into adulthood, one of the reoccurring themes you found was that you have to explore your beast to find your humanity. And I think the current situation that we're in has forced so many people to admit their mortality and their humanity. And a a lot of people have actually explored what their humanity is other than you know it's I, I get up I go to work I take care of the kids, I come home from work I watch TV I go to bed you know which is a very simplistic view but yeah this becomes their idea of what it means to be human and there's that that understanding of its fragility and and sub isn't always there we want to push that away it's almost like we're returning trying to return to our teens and that mindset of like <laughs> I'm going to be around forever. You know, 40 is a long time from now. You know?
1: okay. Yeah. And, and when, I, when I first wrote the book, it was actually when there was a lot of uh, random acts of violence. I mean, I guess that's always kind of true. But, you know, there was more of the school shootings were really yeah. kind of surface, really a lot of the, the gun violence going on and certainly uh, against the black communities from the sure. police. So there was like huge eruptions into people's consciousness of these uh, very violent behaviors and so uh, part of it is uh, that confrontation of mortality is so taboo still uh, we have such a crappy relationship (laughs) you know and I, I do funeral services too and I have to say like in my experiences of doing that kind of work and helping people to come into relationships with death, because you really do have to have a personal relationship with it. Oh, absolutely. Especially because there's such a lack of cultural language to help folks. Um, You know, everyone is kind of, what I've seen, just left to deal with it themselves as soon as they have an experience of it, right? And for some people, that's sooner. For some people, it's later. So they find themselves kind of marooned on Death Island when they (laughs) have to have
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Right,
1: when they lose their death virginity. So w- what we're experiencing now is obviously on a massive scale. So like you said, it, that's a an aspect of our humanity that has to get included in our consciousness or it creates emotional schisms in people, right? So now right. people are getting these confrontations with, number one, like having to deal with the fact that There's death. Number two, maybe even seeing people die in front of them. Right. Or or getting exposed to that kind of experience. And then number three, being forced to confront that they have to help other people through it.
0: Oh, God forbid. Right. (laughs) I know.
1: Usually we have the luxury of avoiding helping other people through death. We'll either direct the older folks to some professionals where we don't have to witness it, you know, and it can happen in that fashion or we leave it to the hospitals, right? But so now people are kind of um, getting included in the death experience in terms of also helping fellow humans, either prevent that from happening by helping them with their health or, you know, trying to help someone that may be having an event.
0: Right. Yeah. It's uh, and, and in your book, um, you don't just include what I would think most people would just expect of, okay, we're going to talk about mystical beasts and here they are. And it's the same group of them. You, you fascinatingly add some that I would, wouldn't have right off the bat expected to be in there, but, really needed to be and okay. one, of, one of them is the Baphomet and yeah. this has always been I guess important I don't know importance the first word that pops into my head but a symbol for me growing up now I was I was this fat kid in school so I'm the one that got all the I got a lot of bullying and so and I mm-hmm. wasn't very athletic and so while everyone else was running off to you know find heroes and rock stars and in sports. I was learning about John Dee and Crowley mm-hmm. and Cornelius Agrippa and um, uh, Austin Spar and, you know, et cetera. And along, you know, with S.L. McGregor Mathers and El- Eliphas Levy, you stumble upon the Baphomet. And it was always yeah. this this different symbol to me than it seemed to be to everyone else. While to me it was this symbol of, of maybe arcane type knowledge and learning and education, to other people, it's this, oh, that's the devil. It's fear and things like that. But uh, tell us a little bit about the Baphomet, how you see him.
1: Yeah, it's a hugely important symbol, in my opinion. Uh, even Christians are familiar with it, right? So it's right. very pervasive It's even throughout Islamic culture uh, as well. So we're talking about a symbol that goes trans-religious, right? Mm -hmm. And as a witch, most people use that symbol to prove or offer some kind of proof that witches are Satan worshippers, right? Or whatever. They want to, you know, put that stigma. They'll just use that image of Baphomet with the goat head, right? Usually, traditionally... Most people are familiar with the one from the Eliphas Levy um, book, but it goes back, really, you can trace images of it going back into Judaic sources. So Mm -hmm. it's certainly Egyptian. So with Baphomet in general, uh, it became popular in occultism and Freemasonry, specifically to represent alchemical ideations right Right. in the image it shows the eliphas levy image it shows the sun and moon and it has the idea of the opposite energies and of course the creative energy in the center with the caduceus in the lap and it's bisexual right so it's it's a depiction of the alchemical unification of opposites right right that's uh, usually called the Hermetic Marriage, or Jung calls it the Mysterium Conjunctio. And then if you look into like a lot of the Knights Templar material and some of the more esoteric sources, they start talking about all of this Mohammed business and the lamp on the head. I, are you familiar with any of those references? Those when you get into the name etymology usually come up, oh, right? Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely, especially within the uh, the persecution of the Knights Templar and the yes. suspicion that they were worshipping Baphomet or a right. or a sure. disembodied head, etc.
1: Yes, so then that became kind of that's usually what you'll find if you research Baphomet right. on the internet, right? Those are the two stories, but For me, I got data on Baphomet, which was more about, um, in Judaic sources, the story of an aspect of humanity and what it really means to link those two opposite forces together in terms of your human nature and your animal nature, right? So. If you look at a lot of the stories throughout the Bible, there's an undercurrent, which who knows the source of that, right? It could have been taken from Egyptian paganism because it mirrors the stories of Osiris and Set, right? Uh, The occult peeps out there, if you guys want to Google Osiris and Set, S-E-T, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's it's what I'm going to be talking about right now, which is that... When you achieve the unification or coming into harmony with your animal nature, it's usually depicted as having horns on your head. And then light shines out of your face. So the name Mohammed, they would, like I said in the Knights Templar, talk about how it was like a lantern an oil lamp on the head but it was literally a term for enlightenment uh, which according to a lot of the esoteric literature occurs when you have a unification with your upper and lower natures right this is this is also of course the meaning of as above so below and that within people we have to kind of perform, emerging of these things. And one of the more famous depictions of this is when Moses is shown with horns on his head. Um, have you seen any images of those statues I have statues
0: that I have. show I remember Moses, the Moses with the horns? With the horns, yes, and talking about the shine and the um, Yes. How the how the Bible describes the shine that is
1: Yes. The shining, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, Well, it's a lot of people have interpreted the Moses with the horns as like a mistranslation of that word shine and horn, and they think that he was depicted that way by mistake. And I'm like, -uh, nah, man, if you look closer at it, and they'll also show Cain in that fashion, too. I found several images of Cain depicted in that same way with those horns, and... It was really a way to show uh, someone who, ironically, was not only not evil, but that they had come into a complete integration of their shadow nature, right? Yes. Yeah. And brought it into full awareness. Whereas, you know, most of the people who might fancy themselves as completely <laughs> unevil are actually very far away from enlightenment. And they live in a kind of shadowy denial.
0: Oh, that's absolutely true.
1: Right? So the reason Baphomet is important as a symbol and as an entity is because we need to understand that we must come into reconciliation with these uh, elements of our nature, not repress them, not deny them, not stigmatize them as evil, because when this happens, we separate them in ourselves, and then we're more liable to do terrible things uh, subconsciously.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I I love that you take such an I, almost kind of Jungian look, at it, but are still able to integrate a cult and I think into that picture, because I really think I, I'll probably get a lot of crap for saying this, but a cult has <laughs> been dumbed down over the years. Oh yeah. And yeah. sometimes I think that's good in some ways. You know, I think there was this dilution of it in the, uh, in the nineties when, you know, everybody wanted to save Tibet, become a Wiccan and, uh, mm-hmm go on a vision quest at the same time, <laughs> you know, yep. but, uh, and I just love to see you bring out the intellectualism in a cult again, but uh,
1: it's hard. It's, um, uh, there's just a lot of history, you know, I, I love that now there's, uh, it's regaining popularity. It's coming into a lot of people's ideations and consciousness, right? So there's a complete, resurgence occurring but and i think we talked about it a little on the other show too just with the the movements and modernity where you know new younger people are getting interested in it but what the thing that i would like to see people avoid and i don't poo poo anyone's personal revelations either i think those are important however you know there's i see a lot of people on the social medias and they'll be like saying these quotes and then putting their name on it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Buddha said that uh, a hundred times. And then then it's just kind of like ignorance and it doesn't go to serve anything. So it's important to kind of look down at the giants whose shoulders you're standing on with this occult stuff because so many minds have looked into this. You just want to, you know, kind of take a little perusal so that you're not just restating the same thing that someone else may have figured out and then taking credit for it, right?
0: It's the it's the Facebook uh, conundrum, you know. It's yeah. just You know, it's like the one thing my friend always says. It's just like, well, it has to be true. You know, Abe Lincoln said it on the <laughs> internet, so it's got to be true.
1: There's so much misinformation. And oh, so it's surprising.
0: so bad.
1: I know. Well, and so part of you know the techniques, and I'm sure you and your studies of shamanism, so one of the reasons I'm so passionate about showing this work to people and reminding people about this aspect of humanity is that when you come into connection with your animal nature and your instincts, you have an ability to tell truth uh, in a very real way. So, like, people are getting fooled all over the place. And I'm not even talking about like in a conspiracy way. I'm talking about straight misinformation, lie to, you, just stuff that is total garbage. You know what I mean? So yeah. when yeah. we come into a better relationship with our instincts, you can smell out caca. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's not hard to sniff. And it just really is, I think, an important. Uh, ability that human beings have forgotten, again, because we've become disassociated from our natures, but we can actually tell the difference between shit and Shinola. You know what I mean? So, we have to do that. It's very important.
0: And please excuse my uh, geese audience.
1: I hear the geese. (laughs) (laughs)
0: They uh, they had to get their two cents, and they've been quiet all day, so I thought I'd take the risk and leave the window open. uh, Thank you. We'll see Bam. if they behave. Yep. They're an angry little creature. Goodness gracious.
1: They are vicious. Geese are vicious. They yep.
0: are out there with all their hissing and carrot on. <laughs> but, yeah, you also you brought up giants, and that was another section that I really enjoyed. And there's kind of two sections. There's giants in general and then the uh, specificity of specificity, – I can't speak today – of <laughs> Cyclops. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Cyclops is one of my favorite, not only because, you know, I was a 80s kid growing up with uh, X-Men, X-Men and Sinbad movies. Oh, yeah.
1: Sinbad, Totally.
0: You know, and then, you know, the only thing you really learn about Cyclops after that is like, oh, yeah, you know, they found elephant skulls and they thought that was a Cyclops and that was the end of it. But there's so much more and there's so much meaning to Cyclops. Could you tell us a little bit about Cyclops?
1: Yes, it would be my pleasure. (laughs) I know. Like, I think a lot of the elephant skull stuff, obviously, is like, that's fine. Like, you can make sense of it and explain it that way. But it's very important to look at the symbolism, you know, involved in it, too. A lot of, this is the thing, a lot of people with the mythological beasts will get really stuck and spend a lot of energy on that conversation of are they real or are they not real, right? This is where
0: most people
1: end the conversation with mythological beasts, right? So maybe that's not the point, and we can see through a lot of the stories as allegorical on several different levels, regardless of proving the veracity of their actual physical being, right? So Cyclops is are one of those that have far more interesting allegorical worth than having arguments over whether or not it's mammoth skulls. Right. (laughs) You know? So one of the most important things uh, with them is about, again, reminding us of a lost aspect of humanity, which is our pineal glands and third eyes. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, You know, I write about this in another essay that is another book I'm working on, but the fact that we have pineal glands inside of our heads is really something. And I know in science a lot of it is attributed to different, you know, glandular purposes, but really if you look at a pineal gland, it's an eye. It has the same uh, substances in eyes that they have cones and rods in there. It has the same structure as an eyeball, and it's hanging inside of your head.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So why do you have an eye inside of your <laughs> head? <laughs> right? This is right. something pretty fascinating to me, right?
0: Oh, for sure.
1: So if we think about how purposeful all of the body is, right, and how <laughs> every structure Has a purpose and function. If there is a light sensing organ uh, within the cave of your skull, that's just very fascinating to me uh, on a deep level. And the Cyclops in a lot of the um, esoteric literature is usually trying to tell the story of the, you know, primal nature of these third eye and pituitary glands, which, you know, if we kind of Divorce ourselves from all the new age literature about them for whatever you want to think about that. And when most people say the word third eye, of course, it's been so mutated now into yeah. this kind of like psychic chakra gobbledygook that to try to even have a concept of what a third eye means has been really, I think, um, Propagandized so that we can't understand what it's talking about. But in my studies and with my teacher, Dr. Kelvin DeWolf, uh, using his techniques, what I discovered is that it is a literal light sensing organ. Right? It's not.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not symbolic. It's not you know um, some kind of mythological story. It actually is serving a function. Right. So. Sure. So when we look at it like that, it becomes a little more epic because the Cyclops are described as giants, right? Usually, I think I mentioned in the book, uh, most of the stories that talk about Cyclopses, they're they're big. Yes. They're the original giants uh, in most of the stories. And this is very much like the Titans, right?
0: Oh, that's true.
1: Yes. So these original giants that are the Titans are a very specific kind of character. So uh, did you see that movie, uh, Immortals? You know what I'm talking about? Um, It was like a newer one by the guy that did the cell.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, I know what you mean. Yes, I haven't seen it, but I know what you mean.
1: So in that movie, they represent the Titans as being these kind of reptilian, like very base like wild animal kind of right. Uh, animals right that is how they depicted them and i really liked how they did them that way because they didn't even like have language or talk they were just like total primal uh level which if we think about that that's though you're Primitive instincts. And I know when I say that, people might not really understand what that means now because we've become so disassociated from that that a lot of people have totally lost touch with feeling their instincts, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that, we've, we're, yeah. we've lost touch with so much.
1: Yes. But your instincts really have to do with perception, right? Right. What you can see or smell. It's like a hunter, right? And sure being able to smell out. uh, You can smell out and tell. You don't have to be psychic to tell what people are feeling or thinking. If you are connected with your instincts, you can... It's very obvious. Like, people are very tragically transparent. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. If you're paying attention, you can... I mean, unless there's some kind of really adept, you know, just kind of the fawns. You can just, (laughs) you know, you can tell what's going on if you're connected with your instincts. And so it's a perceptual thing, really, instinct. uh, And it's kind of, I think, baseline. And it's a perception that you don't have to do. Your body does it. Right? So I'm not going to try and figure out what a smell is. And it's not something I have to think about. My body can do it, right? right? So these titans really represent these primordial or primal drives of humanity. And so the Cyclopses as these giants uh, representing these Titans, having this connection with our pineal gun. I know I kind of went here along around a big circle, but
0: you <laughs> know that's <laughs> good because sometimes that's um, the best way to go.
1: Right? So If we can understand that this symbolism then, because the Cyclopses are used in that fashion, in that Titan way, it's trying to remind us of one of our instincts available to us that we have really nearly forgotten. Either, I mean, who knows why? Obviously, people have um, conspiracy theories of... How we're, you know, getting deadened or crystallized pineal glands from fluoride or or just other chemicals. You know, you can go off on all these, these things. But in my experience of, of doing some of these techniques, it's really just that people don't know how to use them.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you.
1: So it's not Like really a big deal. It's just like if people had become disconnected from any other sense organ that they may have in their
0: body, you know. Right, right. Moving on from like our appendix or yes, anything else is evolving into this unused part of our body that if we could only tap back into, imagine what could change.
1: I mean, you know, appendix is a good example because your appendix can still kill you. Your pineal gland can still kill you like this if it can take you out it has some kind of function it's performing like Agreed. i think people are pretty dumb in that respect that they might suppose that some part of their physical body is useless you know what i mean
0: for for people that work so hard to ignore their animal side of their nature we we don't know much about our own humanity it's, it's like we get so lost into the the dumb stuff of life, like I was saying before we recorded a Facebook of of just regurgitating memes, which I I, I see memes as like the uh, the uh, the hieroglyphs of our time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're gonna we're gonna put these memes out that just. Kind of express our feel our feeling because we're we don't have to express ourselves anymore in full sentences. We have emojis for that. We Mm. have little by little we're doing away with speech. You know, no one cares if they use there there or there. You know, no one cares about grammar anymore, and it's it's little by little chipping away at our own self expression.
1: Uh huh. Yes.
0: Putting. Symbols out there. I'm just going to put symbols, and then when you misinterpret it, I'm going to be angry with you.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, and so much of the bestiary and and these beasts that if people could use this in meditation or just explore these further, you can find so much. I just between your familiars book and the bestiary book, I, I can't wait to go back to my therapist because I'm going to have <laughs> so much I want to talk about. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and it's a positive thing not a negative yeah, thing.
1: Yes. No, and it's I feel like it's going to be helpful for, you know, like you said, this is a a, a path to reconnect mm. with our humanity. You know what I mean? And it's really important for people to do that because when we have these lacks of self-expression of our emotions like you mentioned, right? This is what I'm talking about, where it can lead to things like misplaced violence, doing things uh, subconsciously. It forms addictive, compulsive behaviors, right? We get um, so many, so many afflictions um, that arise as a result of that disconnect because emotions are part of our animal nature uh i mean i guess some people might argue that and think they're more abstract but the reality is is that when you feel an emotion it's not only happening on an abstract level you get a physical chemical release within your body right oh yeah uh for each and every emotion that you feel uh and in chinese medicine they're so brilliant the Taoists are so smart because they figured out um, you know, symbolically, but still works real good, how each emotion is tied to a different organ system. Right. Right? And these organ systems make up what they call the po, or the animal body. They call it the Dong mm. fu. Right? So, okay. in this um, idea that's your body, when you feel an emotion like anger, you get a release of chemical... Um, hormones, or, you know, cortisone, or, you know, if it's your heart, you actually get physical chemicals that are released, you get adrenaline, you get there's like a whole cocktail of real physical substance. So a lot of people like to think that they don't need to deal with their emotions or whatever. And they can just keep them bottled up. But in fact, you are getting uh, there's a physical relationship with your emotional energy in the terms of palpable substances that really are kind of like drugs, right? Yeah. So, I mean, most drugs do the same things that our emotional releases do. Right. So uh, certainly the dopamine alone, right? Like we (laughs) on that for a long time, but if we don't have knowledge of our own emotional mechanisms and our tie to our physical, natural body and how that happens, it's just going to have like a destructive force. So I feel like not only is it helpful, but I think like, you know, we kind of, if we don't reinstate this kind of knowledge, which the ancient people of most indigenous cultures had these stories to help people understand their humanity if we don't um redistribute this knowledge throughout uh, all the people or as many as we can it's people are going to have like very emotionally destructive um either habits or experiences that that sometimes ruin their lives or other people's lives
0: oh yeah definitely especially in the way in the reality that we're looking at now it's uh i was talking earlier that people people have lost themselves yeah i mean you can no longer you don't know where to get truth anymore you don't know what the truth is anymore and when you you take that grip on reality away from people we can't be shocked when people start acting poorly you know and and yeah. we have, we have such a poor understanding of who we are and what we mean and what it means you know the hell with what reality means we don't know what we mean in the context anymore and that it, was always what the the search and the shamanism and occult was for me is to find out, well, where do where do i belong in this whole expanse of things
1: well and when you find that it's that's enough. Right. So when yeah. we in ha- when we know when I know I can tell what's true, I don't need to get upset or feel betrayed when I get lied to because I know it's a lie. Right. So right. it's not pleasant, but no. it's not going to be devastating or cause me to have a reality rip because I know it's malarkey. You know what I mean? Right. And I feel rooted in who I am. You know, I may be a speck of dust floating in space, but I know exactly what speck of dust I am.
0: See, but that's, that's huge. It is. You just that's recognize you yourself as that speck of dust is, is, is huge. I, I, uh, I sat Zen meditation for, I guess, like 20 years, uh, sitting yep. with different teachers from uh, Bernie Glassman Roshi to uh, John Dido Laurie, to sung san and there, there was there was a saying kind of in zen where you'd like when i first started i thought that mountains were mountains and rivers were rivers mm-hmm. And as i began to study i learned that it was all an illusion and there are no mountains and there are no rivers but now that i'm enlightened i realize that mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers <laughs> and it's, it's that that circle of coming back around of you know, you, people are like, well, what's the point if you're right back where you started? I'm like, you yes, know but where you're are. yes, you, you your yeah. understanding has been updated, it has been changed, and now you know where you are amongst those rivers and those mountains, and that's so important right now for us to kind of learn where we are out there. Why wearing this, what seems to be a face panty, is going <laughs> to really make any difference out there? Is that you're thinking beyond yourself?
1: Yes. Yeah. uh, And that's really, you know, when we must connect with our humanity because if, like you said, we think small and we don't connect, and that was, this was something I write about in the bestiary is how important it is that you identify with creatures. Yes. Right? You must include in your identity creatures, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Because. If all you think is, like you said, this thing that gets up, that goes to work, that eats the food, and that's your identifying like capacity of what you are, uh, I mean, number one, that's so limited, number yeah. two it's just not true, and if you can't expand that out just a touch, you save yourself from becoming so self-focused that you can't see who you are.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Yes, definitely. So uh,
1: Yeah, it's really like a way to rescue yourself when you can expand your identity in that way.
0: Someone just picking up your book, and they're like, okay, this bestiary, and I loved hearing her speak, and I want to know more. How does one sit down with the bestiary? Because it's more than just a, a book to read on the lanai, you know, yeah. which... I absolutely agree you should go out on your balcony or your lanai or go out in a field. Read it. Read it and be out there and find in yourself. But how do you want people to?
1: Well, they're kind of like archetypes, right? So you can even yes. just pick a, pick a random chapter and that can be your guy for the day, right? So oh, that's brilliant. You know, you could pick one one a day or one a month and then kind of contemplate on it. One of the things I like about using archetypes is that – when you bring one into your consciousness for contemplation, you'll start to have like a a relationship with it, right? So when you expand yourself to include that as an aspect of you, you can go about your day and because of how magical reality is and how synchronicity is, here's what I'm hoping anyway is that people will start to have those things mirrored back to them so that they can see either in themselves or others some of those stories. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so you could just pick one and then let it marinate a bit.
0: And don't let it fool you. Just because you might see a creature that you recognize, such as vampires, which I'm going to bring up now, Yeah. Don't, don't think you know that story because you yeah. have this wonderful description of um, Tibetan Dakinis. And their connection to vampirism. And I don't, again, I don't want to give away the whole book because I want people to go out there and read it and get, you know, find themselves in this book. But uh, tell us about Dakinis.
1: Yeah. Uh, I love Dakinis because they're my middle name. My mother yes. actually named me that because she had been uh, living in Tibet, actually. It was in the 70s, which I believe Tibet was closed at that time. But she was like, really on the on the border there between India and tibet in the Himalayas proper, she was straight right. in the mountains, you know, and she had been there actually to study art uh she was learning the tonka style art, which yes. uh it's probably you know if you see Tibetan art, it's almost all tonka style for those who aren't familiar it's kind of they use a grid and then do this painstaking. Detail with like these brushes that have one hair and
0: oh my god, um, oh
1: my god. they're very intricate. Uh, sometimes they use like gold in the paint and stuff like that. They're amazing. So she was learning how to do that certain kind of art, and that was where I can hear the geese. They're so cute.
0: Oh my, god. that was uh, they were they were cute nine years ago. <laughs> Not now. They're the bane of my existence. <laughs> they're- all they do is fight all day. Everyone's like, oh, you're so lucky. You don't have any, you know, you kind of live by yourself. And, you know, my kids are with their mom. And,
1: and you're like, like and the geese. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: I have feathered toddlers running around here all day.
1: Your roommates.
0: <laughs> it's not the same. Don't kill me, everyone. It's not the same.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Toddlers are kind of similar to geese.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> that is for but sure. yeah, uh,
1: so she actually learned the the history of Dakinis there in Tibet proper. So um, I learned it most of the stuff from her, and of course uh, now they've become a little more popular because of how popular yoga has gotten and right. it's more awareness. But I remember like when I was in middle school and high school, nobody knew what a Dakini was. Like, oh, I, th- no. I would say my middle name, they'd be like, "What?" And so, like, now it's great. There's more awareness. But I think even now, like, it's funny. People are sugarcoating the Dakini a lot because it's kind of viewed as, like, a yogini, you know, and they use it. And you go into a yoga studio and they'll greet each other like Dakini. But they were, you know, the guardians of the graveyards. They were really... um, cemetery beings in the sense that they were there practicing a a part of the dharma that involves getting over the fear of death uh, which is a very popular part of Tibetan Buddhism they have so many aspects of that religion that really are trying to pry you away from your fear of death you know and like we talked about earlier in the show, we have no language for that really in Western culture. Uh, you go to a funeral, and then you're expected to just suck it up and like uh, forget about it. Not really talk about dead
0: people. No, it's uh, it's Western culture is so bizarre, and that the the two things that are I don't want to use the important, but so much infused in our life the two big things of sex and death, and which. Western culture is so afraid of both of them.
1: Yep. And to a debilitation of our entire population. Uh, You know, I'm in L.A. L.A. has the highest prevalence of STDs right now. It's like off the chain and has been for the last several years. And so it's literally killing people, the taboo, uh, on spreading knowledge of sex. And then, ironically, people are dying because of the diseases that they get from that. So... It makes me angry that the two are kept so taboo because oh, it's not sure. uh, it's not helping anybody. Yeah. So no, I yeah. a lot of changing now, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the trans movement is helping people yes. have to face sexuality and deal with uh, deal with it. And, you know, even if they don't want to or it makes them uncomfortable. So there's a lot of revolution uh, happening there, which I'm extremely supportive of yes, and me too excited about because if you know if they if they can just accomplish that one fa- like thing of helping people bust through their inability to even have discussions <laughs> you know like right jeez louise but yeah so the dakinis are really um in some of the stories described as these cannibalistic blood drinkers, uh, not in a violent fashion like how most modern vampires are shown in this way as they take people's lives and attack people and drink their blood, right? So the Dakini, it's more of a way to integrate death into their own bodies, Hmm. right? So they drink only the blood of dead people right so right. which in most vampire stories is against the rules right yeah that's right
0: that makes them some sick
1: dead blood right right is isn't that from uh i think Anne rice had like that component i believe
0: in- she did and i think they talk about it in uh, true blood as well
1: yes right very even for vampires that shit's taboo right, right. so <laughs> you know that's bad <laughs> um but yeah the Dakinis are the female embodiment of enlightenment and this is important because uh siddhartha buddha at least in his sutras states that the female body is not capable of holding enlightenment (laughs) right i'm like wow true nice to know there's female buddhists you guys must not be reading the book um but
0: (laughs) that happens (laughs) in religion a lot
1: I'm like that's why I'm a witch. If I go to church, I'm not permitted to speak. It says right. that's horrible, right. I'm like no thanks. I'll just yep. step yep. along to the next one. Um. So, but yeah, that notwithstanding, the Dakinis are the feminine ability to em- embody and place it in their body, right, and right. hold what they call the diamond mind. Or the Vajra mind. And ironically, of course, they drink blood. Which is one of the most taboo things you can have. And then there's a lot of legends I get into in there. uh, Because, of course, not only the Dakinis, but the vampires I focus on are stories of the female vampires. Because after we get to a certain point in history, uh, probably really with Dracula. If, you know, I am not like scholarly research the heck out of it, but... (laughs) If we kind of go from that point forward, suddenly all the vampires are shown as
0: men. right with just victimization as yeah. usual of yeah. women in that in those st- <clears throat> pardon me in those stories.
1: right until like you know some stories that will include some women but they're usually dominated by the male vampire right right But prehistory uh, there's not a single story of a male vampire. they're almost all ladies.
0: Right, going back to Lilith herself.
1: Yeah, so uh, this was something I wanted to talk about in the book and kind of show it from that more esoteric angle, and certainly the Dakinis are, uh, you know, a big part of that. And I like talking about them because they're such a now huge part of Buddhism that have become so popularly accepted as these kind of, like, benign creatures. Uh, So I just wanted to remind everybody of their drinking blood from
0: the dead (laughs) (laughs) as one would as one would yes yes and again i don't want to uh i don't want to give away too many of the different chapters because i want people to see them and see some of these chapters as just fresh and new and hasn't even heard about them so i if it's all right i'd like to talk to um some of the services that you offer uh on your page and one of them is the oracle yes and i am completely fascinated by this so could you talk a little
1: (laughs) it's pretty fun
0: it's gotta be fun so i'll let you talk about and explain what you do there
1: yeah i i love doing the oracle it's been one of my favorite things to do and essentially i just get up in front of everyone and i open the audience to ask any question that they want about the mysteries of the universe Uh, And then I generate a response. So, uh, of course, the tradition of oracles I get into in my book, Familiars in Witchcraft, where I talk about the whole history of the Sibylline oracles and the oracle of Delphi and how they use relationships with familiar spirits. And the tradition of an oracle standing in front and people asking questions to the oracle is really the heart of occult teachings. okay right. So And that's like the master servant or teacher student right relationship where all knowledge is kind of conveyed, right? So oh, for sure. If we look at Hermetics, uh, we see that Hermes has conversation with his familiar spirit, which is a dragon. And that's where all the knowledge comes. We see that in a lot of the Zen literature, most of those books are written in kind of uh, Chibo form, where it's Mm -hmm. asking the master questions, right? Oh, yeah. So this uh, performance of Oracle, even though I do it in a very fun and kind of entertaining way, it's really a way to keep this tradition alive and use it in an audience, which I love. Because, of course... Uh, You don't know who's going to ask what question. And every time I do them, it always has like a theme. It's very interesting where a lot of the questions will go together and then there'll be this like concentrated point that it keeps arriving back to. And that's different for every session, it seems like. So it's really fascinating for me to do and uh, the feedback that I get from folks is that, you know, they've never really seen anything like it or participated in it, and they enjoy it immensely.
0: Yeah. It, one of the first things that I noticed when I started looking into magic, etc., was the development of these kind of synchronicities. Yes. That kind of come out. Whether you're looking for them or not, they will come out and smack you in the face and say, I'm here. Oh, Yeah. And uh, I know you uh, you ran into some of these when you were writing the uh, the werewolf chapter, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. I had some big ones. They're so funny. I know. <laughs> yeah, there was the one. I was literally in the middle of writing the werewolf chapter. I had just written like a line in it, and I had to go to the grocery store. So I went and go, and this song playing as I walk in the door was Howling at the Moon, the song about werewolves I'd never heard or like a pop song, you know? And I was like, that's perfect. Perfect.
0: Yeah. I love seeing this. And I I don't think I've been as, as uh, alert to them as I should have been here lately. You know, I kind of got away from my spiritual self for a bit, but as soon as you start wanting to notice again, they all start flooding in uh-huh and uh it it they never seem they never cease to to completely floor me when it happens i was uh I was returning to the location of a uh, friend who passed death oh and uh when uh I walked in with a you know with another friend to the area what comes on and and we're in kind of a casino atmosphere and uh right as we walk in from the parking garage. What comes on but that, and that, uh, that sign, I just died in your arms tonight. Oh, cute. Monday, and it's just, and then it kind of just, they, uh, an advertisement comes on after that, and then it just ends the song, and it goes on to another song, as if that song wasn't even supposed to be playing.
1: Right? So, it's like these crazy muse messages yeah. in that moment in time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, there's an oracle. You know, there's an oracle yes. there and all of a cult, like you were saying, it was to find this oracle, whether it was ceremonial magic, trying to summon a demon into a circle so you can have them do your bidding or teach you what you want. It was all looking for answers.
1: Yes, exactly. And
0: just thank you for being one of these people that bring us answers. Well, I, I have
1: so many questions.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I know. And yeah. it, it was uh, It. it never ends and I think that's good you know that we want to keep looking
1: yes wonder I uh, the main thing that you know is that awe and wonderment that's that feeling you're talking about of being floored by the synchronicity it's an overwhelming sense of well god damn it that's impossible right that awe and wonder
0: right yeah and we lose that as a kid. It's almost like it's slowly we allow it to be programmed out of us. Like, oh, don't 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 worry about those flights of fancy. Just concentrate on work. No, don't, don't worry. That's that's for kids. Don't worry about that. Or don't do that. That's that's kooks worry about that. And it slowly chips away at our our need for something bigger than ourselves, and for yeah. wonder and for astonishment. And uh, it's so hard to get that back. And, yeah, you know, I personally had lost that for a while until I started trying to get my fat ass up mountains. Uh, <laughs> I wanted yeah. to get to the top. Mountains
1: and it, will do it. Mountains will do it.
0: <laughs> and I, to this day, you know, I and you run into this, the shamanism is there has to be this this element of an ordeal. Yeah. Before your aha. You know, it's, it's almost like me, I, down. Yeah. Yeah yes yes there there has to be a certain part of you that it destroys and every time i go out to walk one of these mountains whether it was katahdin or uh lacan or wherever which you know might not be huge for some people especially the guy that ran up it and down you oh, know geez. to me it takes you know five hours to get up there <laughs> but but other way it 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 I always manage no matter what a system of events will always happen where I don't get to eat yeah anything like it wants me to to fast to do this
1: oh I almost always have to fast uh, doing the techniques and do it periodically like it doesn't even have to be long you know I think a lot of people get put off fasting and think it's crazy when really you can do like a one or two day fast and that's good for
0: you Yeah.
1: yeah yeah I do like 3-day fasts, you know? Sometimes just one day. And the thing is like when your body isn't occupied with digestion, it frees it up for other perceptual things right. that you can kind of feel, right? You so can.
0: you yeah. absolutely can feel a a heightened sense of awareness.
1: Yes. I d- don't
0: know how to quite put that, but your your awareness is becomes more distinct.
1: What was it that Arnold Schwarzenegger, I know some people don't really like him, but he kept that saying, stay hungry.
0: Right, right. Yeah, because it
1: sharpens, it sharpens your awareness.
0: And today none of us are staying hungry. I, I, I really, Oh my God, it's every five minutes. I, I think I said on the other show when I was talking to you on Project Archivist, I had to put up this sign that I got from a meme and it said, you're not hungry. You're bored. Close the door. I know it's hard.
1: <laughs> it's availability <laughs> it's hard. and habit. It is. Oh,
0: and it's yeah. like, what do I do with myself? Well, read and we're giving you some great books. So you should go to Amazon purchase and read.
1: Yeah.
0: So, but and then one last one, cause we were coming up on an hour here and I don't want to take your whole day from you. Cause I know you got the kids and everything, <laughs> but, uh, and I, I didn't want to focus on the witch part, but how did you get, how did you get from here to there? So I know you, your mom lived in Tibet for a while so you had this family of searchers. So how yeah. does little Maja become witch of the dawn?
1: Well, I just really I was lucky because I spent a lot of time in nature in the woods, you know? Yeah. I I think that that really did it because I just saw crazy stuff in nature. And just on, I grew up on an island that had like a high forested area and trails that I could go on. And, you know, like you said, what do you do when you're bored? Every time I was bored, I would go in the woods. Yeah. Amen. uh, And then just really, it's funny because the way of the path of my arrival was through hard sciences. I. My grandfather was a geologist so he I would also I was lucky enough to be raised with him and he was so connected with nature he would literally, like his whole job, his life had been hanging out in nature trying to find rocks right So he was a petroleum surveyist so he would literally be by himself, Uh, Maybe like two or three other dudes out in the jungle trying to ID rocks that would find petroleum because they didn't have satellite imaging, right? So he was like, talk about instinct, man. He was on it and so connected. And so I was very lucky to be exposed to him. And through that, I went on a science route. But as I started studying my favorite scientists, I found out that all of them had studied alchemy. (laughs) Wow. So I was looking up stories of these scientists that I fell in love with and reading their biographies because I always want to know how someone knows something. You know what I mean? So they would tell me like so-and-so figured out this theory of blah-de-blah, and I'd be like, well, how the heck did they figure that out? So I would like find out about their lives, and I would find out so many of them had studied like occult, esoteric, or alchemical sources, and I was like, well, what the heck? So then, uh, I mean, I had been interested in witchcraft proper as like a teen. I was a total teen witch, just uh, <laughs> from the, like kind of pagan, nature stuff. But then it was through going into science studies that I arrived at alchemy, and that just really did it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it, it's a journey, you know, like anything else, you know. Oh I, yeah. I, I tried a lot of the different forms, whether it was shamanism or you know, regular group paganism or being solitary, which I just found fine, but yet I wanted more, you know, like you said, Mm-mm. I want to know, I want to learn, I want to see what is your occult and what's your occult and what's your occult. And so it's uh, then, you know, I think that the break to sit Zazen and the sit Buddhism Even though, again, down the line, I saw a lot of the same patterns of abuse and misogyny that I found in Christianity.
1: It's human, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I, I, again, and it's out there in everything, including paganism, but I found more ways for women to be empowered. And that was, that was important to me, not because, you know, I identify as a woman or anything like that, but. As a kid that was very bullied and yeah, was raised right? by a mom that was also had an abusive husband, I had an abusive father, and all oh, that, oh. To, see, to see something that embraced and empowered women also gave me the hope that it could embrace and empower myself.
1: Oh, bless and, you.
0: you know, and, it's true. And because that, uh, we're it's all true. Women.
1: So when you see anyone being abused, it's an aspect of self, right? So. Right if we're studying truth like that has to you can't be so hypocritical that you can't see that right? right like why why some people are elitist and others are not worthy or whatever
0: yeah yeah it's so it's very true and uh i think your books are going to open a lot of people up to this you know a lot of people that the availability of things aren't there anymore before you know and through the the visionary 90s, you know, there was a there was a crystal shop or a cult shop in every almost. Every, it seemed like every town you'd go, you could look up a lot oh, Philly. You know, there's you know, there's Blue Star Coven and and Harry's Occult and things. And they're, they're all gone. You know, I don't know, you know, yeah.
1: thank you, Amazon, I guess. But right. You know, and, a lot of the shops have gone kaput. It's true.
0: And it, it, still to this day, I think my favorite scent in the whole world is 90s occult shop.
1: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it, I agree.
0: You know, it, it, it's books, it's incense, and it was wonder. And they always ended up having classes, and some like, oh, eh, that's not for me, but this one might be. And so I. Exchange, I we, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I want to bring that back out to people. So uh, I really thank you for coming on the show. And talking and i definitely want to have you on just for i ching as well i get sick of me (laughs) (laughs) i know so little and have so little understanding about the i ching and it's so complex and and everything so i definitely want to devote just a show to the i ching because we could probably talk for four hours on that
1: it's dense it's dense yeah
0: it is but uh so i definitely want to give you a chance to uh to plug your books and your website and your nonprofit and tell people all about and how they can find you.
1: Oh yeah. Thanks. I'm pretty accessible. I'm at witchofthedawn.com and I have links to most of my stuff on there. You can see my books and my art and I have a bunch of free lectures, uh, like, you know, years worth of lectures um, that you can watch on YouTube about a lot of various subjects. And then, <clears throat> uh, as well as kind of links to other cool people or stories on there as well. So it's kind of fun, and you can find a lot on there, and I'm on social media as well. There's links on there too.
0: Most definitely. I'll put uh, I'll put some links in the show notes as well, not only to your main page but to am, uh, Amazon for the Bestiary and things like that, and then people can kind of click on your name and Amazon will bring up all your other books, and uh, they should buy them all immediately. <laughs> it's a lot of
1: fun stuff
0: it is it is and it's great and if you haven't heard uh, me on uh, Project Archivist when Roe and I sat down with Maja and talked about her book on familiars you should definitely hunt that out and I'll put that in the show notes as well and uh, stay on after we uh, hang up so we can talk a little bit but uh well, I thank you for coming on Maja I really appreciate your time and your knowledge
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Gary. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Take care. You too. There have always been strange, dark rumors surrounding the Decane property. Rumors horror novelist Philip Loeb believes could serve as the perfect inspiration to restart his career. The more intertwined Loeb's life becomes with the Decanes, the more he realizes there is far more to the family than the rumors have led people to believe. The Family Decane, from the mind of Christopher Hall, a new horror classic is born. Available in Kindle and paperback at Amazon. And I'm back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Man, I love her. She is so cool. She is just the sweetest person. And uh, I'm so thankful she was able to come on. So that was Maja Daou, the Witch of the Dawn from out there in L.A. And thank you so much, Maja, for coming on. And, uh, well, like I said before in the opening, it's, uh, it's Memorial Day. So I uh, hope you guys can get your party on and uh, do something fun out there. And uh, let's do a little, uh, little of our chores here. If you'd like to help the show, it would really help out, if you, especially if you uh listen to your podcast on apple it really helps us show out if you leave a comment and uh, give us a rating because that really helps out because if there's no comments and no ratings and uh, i'm big apple zero and i don't want to be an apple zero i want to be a cool kid so but it, no matter what platform you get on if you could give us a review or rating or anything like that it really helps out the show also, if you're out there and wherever you're from, we have so many people listening from all over the world. It's really cool, whether it's Australia or the Philippines or Canada or England. Hey, England, France, uh, Denmark, Germany. So wherever you are, if you're got, if you on the Book of Faces, the Facebook, pop on. There's a uh, group for us. You can find us, Bizarro Aficionado. Look us up to the Facebook group. Join us. Jump into the madness. And then you can keep up with updates and uh, when my dumb lazy ass is getting the episode out and things like that. If you have ideas for the show or you just like to talk to me or whatever or tell me how much I suck, you can uh, contact me at uh, bizarroficionado at gmail.com. So you can do that. And I uh, hope you guys have a great weekend. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Bye, everyone. <coughs>
1: Every day, never taking breaks, killing myself Addicted to the gold, only focus on wealth Still slide to my 95, to 5 Step by the time till I'm on the rise Blasting off, I'm not asking you off This ain't frat, rap, tell the haters Fuck off, I'm shining, so blinded I a vibe, got no diamonds Broke boy, got nothing in my wallet Spend on my green on the green quite often Still flawless, stand and Say fuck it to me, face call Time to ride the wave, ride the shade Inhale the hate, it's time